0: Uh, I want to start by asking you a question. The question is this, Isaac Newton, Helena Rubinstein, Humphrey Bogart, uh, Anwar Sadat, who was the president of Egypt, and the Veronicas. I expect you all to know who the Veronicas are. What do they all have in common? What do they all have in common? Come on. on They were all born on Christmas Day. Well done, Bobby Wigg. Did you get that right? It was a good guess, but it's a logical guess. They all have something in common. Like thousands of other people, they were born on Christmas Day. Uh, but here's something interesting. Uh, you don't remember them as babies, do you? Isaac Newton. Who remembers him as a baby? Helena Rubinstein. The um, yeah, Humphrey Bogart. And while Nobody remembers these people as babies. You remember them as adults who have done something significant, but not as babies, which makes it very odd that when people think of Christmas, we focus on a baby born in a shed. No doubt the nativity scene is amazing. We just heard from it, uh, as Luke read uh, from Luke uh, chapter 2, we were told about the nativity scene, weren't we? Uh, but why all the fuss? I mean, it's not the whole story, is it? Why all the fuss? What's the big deal? Well, two verses only. Remember, we're doing Christmas cards by the Apostle Paul. Open up the Christmas card from the Apostle Paul. What does it say? Verse 4. When the time had, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Two verses, how hard can it be this morning, right? Now, I want you to think for a moment, what makes you go ooh and ah? What makes you go ooh or ah? What amazes you? Uh, maybe it's a beautiful work of art. Maybe it's a, a beautiful sunset. Maybe it's the latest release of your favourite music. Oh, I'm listening to you two. Uh, at the moment, their new CD, and I'm going ooh and ah, because my kids are singing along to it. It's really good. Uh, it's like, yeah, rock it out. And then uh, Star Wars on the big screen, if you've seen Star Wars yet, maybe that makes you go ooh and ah. Uh, or, you know, what is it that fills the spaces of your imagination? As you think about that, see this. But when, when God saw that the timing was right... He got stuck into the world to perform the most extraordinary miracle the world has ever known. Nothing can top this miracle, I don't think. And what is the miracle? The first miracle is this. God put skin on. God took on flesh. He took on human form. The creator became the created thing. That's incredible. It should be incredible to us. Now you might be sitting there going, whatever, come on, this is God we're talking about. Here is the wonder of the incarnation, that at the right time, God sends his son to be born into the world as one of us. Now think about it, how would you do it if you were God? If you were God, well... What if you were God and you wanted to pay a visit to the world that you had made? How would you enter that world? Uh, I mean, I asked when I was teaching scripture, a second grader said I'd drop big posters from the sky. Uh, here I was thinking they might mention big spaceships with big laser cannons. You know, a, a big wild entry that everyone would know about. But what did our God do? God didn't do any of that. He sent his son born of a woman just like you and me. That's what our text says. Now, we were all born from our mother. And so did Jesus. Jesus was born from his mum. Don't miss that. He had a mum. He didn't arrive like we might choose if if we were God. God. He didn't arrive with pop and grandeur and power and presence. I mean, we know how it could have gone, don't we? He could have turned up and turned stone into bread and solved world hunger. He could have filled every every one of Herod's hippodromes and amphitheatres. He could have had the travelling supernatural Jesus circus show and done miracle after miracle, but he didn't do that. Uh, He could have taken over the work of governing the world where there's no more war, no more crime and no more injustice, but uh, he didn't do that. His arrival into the world was very normal. Very normal. Do you remember the nativity scene? He's, He's pushed out by his mum as a baby. He was given birth to by his mother and then they wrapped him in a swaddling cloth whatever they call it and they put him in a cattle trough amongst the hay and the stink do you see the wonder do you see what this means here it is let me tell you what what it means you can never accuse jesus of not knowing what it's like to be you you can't ever say to God, you don't get what life here is like. Here is God, actively participating, he's getting down and dirty in our world. Here he is, born of a woman. And because God arrived in a regular birth and not by royal procession, not a grand ascent of chariots, it means that he understands our lives, he knows our pain, And he knows our mortality because he lived it himself. He knows sadness. He knows tears. He knows loss of loved ones. He's seen sickness. But he also knows joy and laughter and the delight of breathing in fresh air and eating yummy food with friends. He knows it. We can never say to God... God, you just don't get it. We can never, ever say that to God. Jesus n- knows. He was born of a woman, born of a woman just like you and just like me. Now, do you think that was easy? Was it easy for God to do that? Think about the think what it would have been like for him. The, the humiliation... Of God the creator. We don't think of it as humiliation because we're humans. This is God being born and choosing to become one of his own creatures. See, let me make it concrete for you. Those of you that work with sheep, would you become one of your sheep to help your sheep? Neil Buckland's thinking, not a chance. <laughs> you wouldn't do it, would you? That, Adam, is completely absurd that anyone would think of doing that. But, you know, that's exactly what God did for us, such is his love for us, and such is our desperate need. God became human. Now, let's speculate a little bit more. Use your imagination. Now, imagine you're God again and you've made the world you're God and you've got got it all sorted and lots of thoughts being given to how it works it's ins and outs and all that but just to be clear you're a good God so you give the creation an instruction manual a user manual that'd be be fair enough wouldn't it because you want them to know how everything works makes perfect sense and isn't this as you think about the logic of that isn't this what God has done Hasn't God given us, given the people of his creation, his instructions? God has given us his law, his rules. He's outlined a good design for it all. And this is where we come to the next part of our sentence. Chapter 4, verse 4. When the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. Got that. And what's the, last, the next bit? Born under the law. Born under the law. Jesus is born under. What does it mean to be born under the law? What's the law? You could go for the Ten Commandments, and that would be right. I, I like to go for what Jesus said about the law. What did Jesus say about the law? He only said two things. He said, love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor too. And in this way, All of the law is fulfilled. Those 10 commandments, all 10 of them, they're about loving God and loving others. Simple. The key to the well-lived life, the key to doing what Jesus said is love. But not just love for anything. It's a love for God and a love for other people. How do we show our love for God? God. By loving others. How do we show our love for others? By loving God. They're they're two sides of the same coin. But you know what? We love God because he made us and we owe him everything and he gives us the very air we breathe in our lungs and we love others because we're we're fellow human beings and we're all the same in that respect. But wouldn't it be nice if people actually did it? God gives us his good design, his his law, wouldn't it be great if we all did what Jesus has commanded us to do? That we would all love God and love others. 100% love for God because we own everything and 100% love of our neighbour. I mean, who of us, if we're completely honest, lives to the maker's instructions fully? I know I don't. And it gets even harder at Christmas. Because at Christmas time, there's more pressure, our routine's out of whack. It's a time of year when our love for others is decidedly absent. Family tensions can rise and surface at Christmas. Pains and hurts and resentments show themselves. It's tough. So who on earth can do this? When we fail to love God, and we fail to love na- our neighbours when, when we love ourselves more than all of those other things. This is called sin. And there's nothing less attractive than a selfish, self-obsessed person, is there? Uh, and when we live, uh, when we, when we live with complete disregard for our God and our Creator. When we fail to return gratitude to him and acknowledgement to him, that's not just foolish to God, that's a terrible affront. And here lies our problem. None of us come close to the simple standard of loving God and loving others. So we fail. But this is where our verses are really helpful. Because Jesus was born like us, that's what our text says today. He was born like us under the law, just like us. But unlike us, Jesus kept the law perfectly. Who is it in history that has kept this law perfectly? The answer is only Jesus. Nobody was more loving than Jesus. His was the perfect life of love. And his life was like a magnet. You read the Gospels, people are drawn to Jesus like moths to a flame, aren't they? They can't get enough of Jesus. The crowds follow him everywhere. They want to be with him. And I think a big part of the reason they want to be with him is because of his life of love for God and his life of love for other people. He's showing us this is what works. This is the best way. Now, why did he do it? Well, look at verse 5. Can you see it there? Here's our Christmas card. Verse 5, why was Jesus born of woman, born under the law? Verse 5, to redeem those under the law. There it is. He became like us so that we'd be redeemed. To be redeemed, to be rescued. To be redeemed means to be bought back and set free. That is redemption. Uh, It's where Jesus comes and pays the price that we ourselves cannot pay. Jesus rescues those that the law threatens. Those born under the law, we cannot keep the law, but Jesus redeems and he rescues slaves to sin. And he does that by living a perfect life, under the law that we could never live he does that but he also does it on our behalf in our place as our substitute he becomes one of us and he lives as one of us so that we can have a chance of rescue and somehow live like him and this is God's way of bringing forgiveness see what is a baby going to grow up to be the baby is going to be, grow up and be a teacher yeah the baby's going to grow up and be a miracle worker? Sure, absolutely. But please don't miss the significance that the baby grows up and eventually will die on a cross in our place just so that we can be forgiven. He will intentionally die on a cross. He will take on himself what we born under the law and we who failed to keep the law He will take that on himself. He will get what we deserve. And he will be cut off from God just so that we can be right with God and friends with God so that we can be forgiven by God. Redeemed, rescued. Jesus comes to redeem those under the law that we might be forgiven. Now have a thing about that. God becomes man. God dies on a cross. It's incredible. Can it get any bigger or better than that? Well, yeah. the answer is yes. See, the last thing our verse tells us is about adoption and receiving full rights of sonship. See our verse? Verse 4 is the doorway. When the time had come, God sent his son born of a woman. Amazing. That's the doorway. The baby is the doorway but it opens up why does the baby come verse 5 to redeem those under the law that's us we got that but what else that we might receive full rights of sons we might be adopted now think the bible uses the language of adoption uh, for a reason this is all about us being adopted into the family of God Now, why do I need to be adopted into the family of God? Here comes the shock. You ready? You need to be adopted because you and I don't naturally belong to the family of God. (coughs) Hence the language of adoption. That's a shock, isn't it? You can't be adopted into a family that you already naturally belong to, can you? You can't get out of it To get back into it, you can only be adopted into a family that is not yours by birth. That's a shock. To be adopted into the family of God means that I am not in that family by birth. I am not therefore born a child of God, automatically into his family. Why not? Why am I not naturally in God's family, Adam? I mean, I grew up an Anglican and I thought it was all automatic. Because like everyone else, I'm a natural-born sinner. Sin is in my DNA. And it comes out every time I push God aside and make myself centre stage. Until for all intents and purposes, God disappears from the radar altogether that's sin when we live with no regard for God but of course as we push God away the beauty of what we read here is that God doesn't go anywhere God does not disappear when the time was right God sent his son born of a woman of all things born under the law of all things To redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights of sons, that we might be adopted. Do you see the wonder of this? That when we accept Christ and we come to him saying, we need your forgiveness that only you can offer, uh, we are adopted into God's family, his eternal family. In Christ, family is a renewed and wondrous thing. And it's not any family, is it? This is adoption into God's family because of Jesus, God's son. He becomes like us, born of a woman, born under the law that we could be like him with full rights. We get to inherit what he will inherit. And he did it to make us family. And so part of our response to Christ is our response to one another as a church family and our commitment to one another and our love for one another because we're family our home is heaven our father is God and he's opened up the way for us to be part of his eternal family we, we join with millions of brothers and sisters across the world do you know you've got brothers and sisters who are going to go to church in Egypt tomorrow, and they're going to do it at great risk of their personal safety. Why? Because they're part of the family. Because Jesus is their saviour. Because they love God and they love others. And they know where their eternal home is. We've got Christian brothers and sisters in Italy, don't we? Proclaiming the good news, the Edwardses, Edwards, Edwardses—it's a mouthful. There they are, Christmas time, proclaiming the good news. We've got brothers and sisters in India, working with missionary children and others, encouraging them. We've got the old fields in uh, northern Queensland. They're our brothers. They're our family. And as we look around, we see our family here too. Here is a family that unites people across the planet. And I think it's too good to pass up. How do we become part of the family? We recognise that Jesus is the maker and our rescuer and we put him at the centre of our lives and we trust him in every way, with every need and we trust Jesus in the context of belonging to a family because there are no lone rangers in God's family. When the time is right, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And for that we say, thank you. Amen.